Yo, you ever just lie awake in the middle of the night and think about Crash and the boys? I do all the time. <laughs> you? Oh, yes, yes. I was like, who are Crash and the boys? Now you remember. Now you think about it. Yes. <laughs> I was had... like, is this a new band that I'm not aware of? <laughs> yeah, they have that song. So, I am so sad. So very, very sad. Five second long song. Yes. Yes. You know what? I do actually think about them quite often. I want to know their whole, like, disco- uh, am I saying that correctly? Discography? I think, yeah, discography. Yeah, I like, want to know what it, like, looks or sounds like. <laughs> yeah, okay, so we, we've got So Sad, So Very, Very Sad, We Hate You, Please Die. Yeah. They've got to have a song that's just, like, fuck off, right? Yeah. Right? Yes. Something super, super angsty. I mean, all their stuff is angsty, you know, but something like super, super aggressive. Not that I hate you, please die isn't aggressive, but I don't know. I feel like they can be bigger. <laughs> welcome, to, well, welcome to Recommended Reading with Jackson Heyman. Um, my name is Jackson Heyman. Um, welcome to our first movie. This yeah. is this is weird. We, we, we're covering a movie. We're not that, but... Um, uh, yeah, we are covering, I think, yeah, I'm going to call this, I think, my favorite adaptation of a comic into a movie of all time, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and I am joined by a very dear friend of mine, Piper McCaffrey. Um, you can introduce yourself um, and share your history with this movie a little bit. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm very excited. Um, my background isn't in comics. But I grew up watching this movie with my dad, who's a big comics fan. Um, so uh, this was like watching this movie was our way of bonding. So I think I've watched it, not even exaggerating, like at least 50 times. <laughs> yeah, I, I would have to say the same for me. I think, okay, this is going to sound weird. I think I have seen like the first 45 minutes of this movie like 75 times. I think... Because I specifically just the clip of Envy Adams singing, I think I've watched that maybe like a thousand times. Okay, okay, so I that the cover of Black Sheep by Brie Larson as Envy Adams, Mm -hmm. I I have like moved mostly over to like Spotify for a lot of my music listening tastes. Yeah, but for the longest time, I used like YouTube Music. Um, I know you on Spotify. It's not even on Spotify, but I used YouTube Music, and there's a clip, there's a version of that clip that, like, counts as a song in the algorithm, and every time I just put on YouTube Music when I'm, like, driving, it's always the first thing that comes up, because it's so good. It is. But, Honestly, but why that clip made me want to add it to my audition book? I'm a musical theater actor, so I'm, like, always looking for, like, a pop song. I'm like, I want to sing that. Piper, if you go into an audition with fucking Black Sheep by Metric, but specifically the Brie Larson version. Yeah, it's for something like super like edgy, maybe, you know, like, um, like one of, or like, like, I think I could audition for six with it. You know? <laughs> could, it could get you a rent, a rent gig yeah. easily. You could get into rent with this. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Um, but like, like, the first 45 minutes of this, I, for the longest time, this movie played on, like, Comedy Central forever. And, like, other, like, cable channels like that. And 
I would always just be like in a hotel room. I remember specifically I was we were on some school trip for like a speech tournament or something. We were in Duluth, Minnesota, and I was sitting in a hotel room. Um, my friends were like swimming or something. I was like, oh, no, I don't want to do this. Fuck it. I'll just watch TV. (laughs) And and then and then I turn on the TV and it's like like the first part. And then you I watched I would always watch like the first 45 minutes right up until like right up until like fucking Brie Larson comes in as Envy Adams. And then some for somehow some reason I always would like something else would come up and I would be like, oh, got to stop watching this movie. I've seen this movie in full tons of times, but like the ending is so like so much happens in like the first 45 minutes of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. That that's all I remember because like you get the Matthew Patel shit, you get Chris Evans, you get the whole setup and it's just like, Oh, this is what Wait, sticks with with- who isn't she before Envy Adams? Doesn't she, she shows come- she shows up for like a minute and yeah, then she yeah, comes yeah. and then she comes back. Mm-hmm. God, this movie has a stacked cast. Literally, like the amount of like A-list celebrities that they were able to pull into this movie is just amazing to me. I when I was watching this for for notes again, I was looking at the opening credits and Genuinely, I think almost everyone that was that's in the opening credits is now probably in like the top one, two, three hundred famous people of all time. Oh yeah, a hundred. Um, Michael Sarah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Kieran Culkin, Chris Evans, Anna Kendrick, Brie Larson, Allison Pill, Aubrey Plaza, Brandon Routh, Jason Jason Schwartzman, Mae Whitman, um, and even just so many other like. Other like bit players, like the guy who plays Como, I, he's done a ton of comedy shit. Um, Bill Hader is the narrator for like five minutes in this movie. It's a, it's a stacked cast. Everyone in the movie has gone on to do, to have amazing careers. Holy shit! Um, let's talk a little about the background of this movie. So, um, this is based off a comic series that was released from 2004 to 2010 by writer artist Brian Lee O'Malley. Um O'Malley, I have not read the actual series that this movie is based on. I feel a big hypocrite for calling my this my favorite adaptation, but like I don't know. I I've been meaning to, but it's just like so hard to track down. Yeah, I did. I didn't. Is it hard to find in stores? Like, is it just because it's so popular? So, I it's been out of. I don't know, like the cycle of like how much they reprint it, but like, (laughs) I think you can read it all digitally, but I don't know anymore because, um, fuck Amazon. That's all I'll just say about. That's my two cents on this fucking comicsology discourse that I won't get into right now because we're talking about movie amazon canada ramona flowers works for amazon this whole thing is from amazon (laughs) it's all amazon's fault um why is this movie not streaming on amazon prime why did i have to get fucking peacock for this 
It was on Amazon for the longest time because anytime I have people over to my house and we like can't decide to watch on a movie, I'm always like, this is the movie. Because no matter what demographic you're in, I've never met a person who does not enjoy this movie. Yes, that's the thing. Like, it hits so many like things that people are interested in. Like, if you like any of these actors, you will have a good time watching this movie. If you mm. like weird comedies or weird action movies, that's also here for you. If you just like weird nerdy video game references and shit, like that's here. And the music it, is interesting. Yeah. It, would you? Okay. Piper, as someone who is a musical theater performer, mm-hmm. would you call this a musical? Oh, okay. Because like music as a device in musical theater it act well that was so redundant (laughs) music serves (laughs) as a device in theater to move the story plot and that's what classifies it as musical theater and oh i don't know because you know what i would classify it as musical theater because music does move the plot forward it's a very inherently important part of the whole piece all together so yeah you know what call this musical this is the this is the best movie musical of all time (laughs) wait wait no i can't say that yeah moulin Moulin rouge exists moulin rouge exists and we can't god i watched moulin rouge again (laughs) recently um still hits still 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 so good i to date when we're recording this um i believe the touring production of the musical just left Minneapolis like this last week. And I am so mad that I couldn't get tickets. And my boss apparently went and his take on it was it was interesting. No, I not to like go off track. I, I, went, I visited one of my friends who was in New York City over spring break. And I went and saw like one of Eric Devet's last performances. Um, and oh my god, it was life-changing. Like, Uh, it was so freaking good. It uh, was so good. I think what, I I honestly think, I I haven't seen the live musical. I haven't, I've only listened to bits of it. But I think. They added more, like, mainstream pop. Yeah. That's that's what I'm, that's, that's what I think sort of, like. In terms mm-hmm. of just the soundtrack, it bumps it higher than the actual movie for me. Yeah. Simply because of Crazy Rolling. Because oh, I yes. <laughs> I love both of those songs. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's one of those things that you don't think would work together, but mm-hmm. it does. You know what I would love to see? This is so random, but Scott Pilgrim singing Crazy Rolling about Ramona Flowers. <laughs> I feel like that would be perfect. You could totally add that in and it would make 100% sense. Fuck it. You know what I'd like to see? I want to see a live stage version of this. Of Sc- I want to see a live stage version of Scott Pilgrim. You can add more. You could do it. You could add more music. Yeah. Yeah, like, I think this could totally transfer to the stage. There's no I, way they couldn't. I, and I think a lot of, like, the fantastical elements of, of the movie and of the story in general 
work very well, like, in, like, the lot, in the, like, the weird, like, suspension of disbelief reality yeah. that is live musical theater. Because, yes. like, you could do, like, Matthew Patel's whole thing. You could do Todding's crazy vegan superpowers. That's shit you could do in live theater. Like, oh, that would be so sick. Fuck it. Fuck it. Hey, um, Broadway producers, um... Are you listening? No, are you listening? A, are you listening? B, um, we'll, we'll devise the adaptation. We will, we will conceive it. Um, put, also put us in it because we are working actors. Um, Henry Adams, all right? <laughs> I've been waiting for this moment my whole life. Let me play. Wallace Wells. <laughs> oh my God, Wallace! I was watching this scene when he um when he comes home and he's like, "Guess who's drunk?" And I was like, "I think that's me." After a night out, I think I'm Wallace. <laughs> I we we do have to circle back eventually to talking about the background information of this movie, but <laughs> but Wallace Wells, I think, is the best character in this movie. 100%. Um, I, um, we should probably... I'm, I'm sorry, what was that? He has the most rationale. Like, he's the one to point out to Scott, hey, you're a horrible person. Also, it's weird you're dating a 17-year-old. Like, he's the only... Well, actually, Anna Kendrick also does that. But Wallace, you know, he, like, keeps that motive going. <laughs> Wallace Wells is simultaneously the voice of reason and yeah. the most chaotic person in the room at all times. Yes. yes. And Kieran Culkin, incredible performance there. Um, I wrote a list of lines that like I say all the time, and <laughs> half of them are um, Wallace Wells quotes. Um, <laughs> I, I have fucking Guess Who's Drunk on my list here. Love it. Love uh, it. But so, the movie, yes. um, oh, what were you going to say? I was saying, yes, backstory. Yes, ba say. background information. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, so the movie was actually, um, hold on. Okay, going to be real honest. I, uh, we are in final runs for a show I'm acting in right now, so I did not get time to research. So I am doing what any post-grad will do and turning back to Wikipedia. Um... You saved my life on a couple of papers. Um, if any of my professors are listening, no, no, you did not hear that. Um, um, hold on. I wrote this part out. Okay, um, I was looking up Wikipedia before I started the movie because I was like, you know, what? I'm curious about the background. I feel like I should know this before the podcast. And I didn't realize there's a video game, which makes so <laughs> much sense watching it. I'm like, <laughs> there is a video game, and for the longest time. It wasn't um, available. Like it released for like a couple of years, and mm -hmm. then it because it was a digital only game for a while, and then the store it was on shut down when like new consoles came out, and then they just re-released it last year in like a new remastered, and I because like. The game was like, it was like a beat-em-up, like a four-player game, and you could play as Scott, Stephen Stills, 
Ramona, and I believe Kim? I think that's right. And then the big thing was like, oh, we're releasing the game. Now you can play as Wallace and I believe Knives. So that, yeah. But um, yes, so the movie, the movie was like originally optioned in 2005, like right when the first, after the first volume had come out. Like Brett O'Malley was like, Oh, I thought it, I thought it was going to be horrible, and I just signed it so I could get a paycheck. And so they bring on Edgar Wright and I believe Michael Bacall to co-write the movie, and Wright's going to direct. Um, Edgar Wright, um, known for like Shaun of the Dead, uh, Hot Fuzz, World's End, Baby Driver, Last Night in Soho, which I haven't seen but I heard is bad. Have to disagree, but that's a whole other conversation. Okay, okay. (laughs) My faves. I mean, on all accounts, I feel like I should love Last Night in Soho because Anya Taylor Joy, Matt Smith, sixties aesthetic, Mm -hmm. also a horror movie, kind of. Yeah, yeah. It's oh, I just I love anything that Edgar Wright does. I'm I think one of his biggest fans. He's. He's really one of those directors that, like, you can tell you can tell when watching a movie of his, you can point it out and be like, "Oh, yeah, this is an Edgar Wright movie." You the can- way he incorporates music is so effing brilliant. Like yes. in all of his projects, like, oh, it's so cool. <laughs> I have to shout like this and Baby Driver. I think are the like the best examples of that. Baby Driver, obviously, because that. That whole movie is the soundtrack and the needle drops. But this, so much of it, like we've said, hinges on the music to move it forward. And it all works so well. And so, so Wright and Bacall start writing it. And O'Malley is heavily involved with the original screenplay production. So much so that... um that lines that are written in the script for the movie get ended up, end up getting put into issues of the comic that, because he's working on the comic as they're writing the movie. And so, like, both sort of informed one another. Like, O'Malley had the story in his head, but they, the ending was, I believe, a collaborative idea on both fronts. Like, because it was originally both written in the screenplay and I believe in the comic that Scott was going to get back together with Knives, but then they changed that for a lot of reasons, and so movie ends, Scott and Ramona are together, comic ends, Scott and Ramona back together because of like them working so closely in tandem with each other. So let's, let's just dive into, like, what is this movie about? Piper, do you want to take this? So, uh, Scott Pilgrim, he is, uh, he's mid to late 20s, right? He, he's kind of a slacker. Yeah. He plays guitar with this band. He, he, play, he plays bass for this band. And he's fresh off a breakup with this girl who is now, like, a big time, like, I don't, I wouldn't call her, like, a pop singer. But, like, she's, like, this huge, like, hit indie artist. Um, and he's still not quite over her. So, he rebounds. With this 17-year-old girl who is Chinese-Canadian. 
and her name is Knives Chow, and they, like, explicitly say that they don't do anything sexual. They just, like, hang out and, like, talk about high school together. Um, they go, he, like, introduces her to all this music, and they go thrift shopping. They go to the library to pick up her textbooks, and um, all of his friends in the band, and also he has another ex-girlfriend in the band, Kim, who um, plays the drums, and they just like completely shit on scott <laughs> they like make fun of him for dating a baby they're just like they, they they're just super hard on him which fair because he's, scott is a mess um yes <laughs> and so one day um he has this dream about this girl with purple hair on like roller skates who is an amazon delivery person and um he wakes up and he goes to this party and or no he doesn't he doesn't see her at the party does he where does he see her i literally just watched it at, i forget at the library and then yes he sees her at the library and he's like oh my god she's real and he's like i have to learn more about this person so they go to this party and he goes up to his friend who knows everybody that's like his whole character description and he's like i hey. love him about this girl and he's like oh that's Ramona Flowers she's here tonight and Scott is like yes I gotta get with her um tries to flirt with her fails but eventually they end up to getting together he cheats on knives with Ramona and to make it even messier to be with Ramona Scott has to fight all of her past seven evil exes um, and this, like, little brigade reaches out to Scott, but Scott is so aloof, he doesn't realize that they have told them that they are coming to fight him. And that's, like, the whole exposition. <laughs> the whole the whole movie after this is Scott fighting these seven evil exes of Ramona, um, while also trying to balance his fucked up personal life, um, and all his messy relationships, and... Well, also, his band's got to win the battle of the bands. Yes. They are trying to make it big. And if they win, they get this huge record deal with G-Man, who is some, like, suspicious, random, like, big Hollywood guy. But not Hollywood because they're in Canada. <laughs> God, so. that... I forgot that fucking Gideon calls himself G-Man. I Yeah, because... We don't know. We don't know that G-Man and Gideon are the same person until like yeah, yeah. Gideon being Ramona's the seventh ex, leader of yeah. the League of Evil Exes, the main, the technically the big big bad of this movie, mm. and he's played by Jason Jason Schwartzman, who gives yeah. the most gummy performance imaginable. <laughs> um, just like the look entirely, like it's. Those fucking hipster glasses from like that were super popular in like 2010 to like 2013. Yeah. The Jason the Schwartz. <laughs> yes. Yes. The fucking mullet. Mm -hmm. um, it's he looks awful. Um, I hate him so much. Yeah. Every word out of his mouth, I was like, oh He's fuck. Smart. You. He's just like gross. And like cocky and like bleh. like I don't I don't want to know this man. If he approached me in a bar, I'd like throw my drink in his face. <laughs> I definitely went to high school with some people like this. Oh. And, um, but I think that's actually something we should kind of address right at the beginning. Um, this movie and especially the character of 
Scott, um, I feel like there is a special place in the hearts of a lot of, like, film bro types who are shitty people already and who love this movie and this character for all the wrong reasons. Oh, yeah, 100%. Because I can... I remember our first episode we ever recorded, a conversation was brought up about, like, oh, the movie's, like, mask-presenting dude, mask-presenting people um, watch in middle or high school get really into, be like, oh, this guy's just like me. And then have that sort of awakening that's like, oh, these pe- these characters that I related to are horrible people. He's horrible. Maybe except for Knives. We love Knives, but... No, everyone, everyone has their faults and is messy and is mean and just, like, is selfish. And, like, they... And that's why Scott fights himself at the end. Like, because he has to learn, like, the battle is himself. Like, he's yeah. a ship. <laughs> I have a list of everything Scott does in this movie. Yes, I can't wait to hear it. Um, uh, obviously, big one, big big couple dates a high schooler. Um, mm-hmm. cheats on said high schooler with another girl. Yep. Um, yep. leads them both on for over the course of at least like a week or so. And, um, steals his roommate's food, um, (laughs) barely contributes to anything with said roommate, um, job, um, like, no job, no job, no job, um, lives across the street from his parents, which isn't, like, a bad thing, but, like, it gives you the vibe of who this guy is. He doesn't even have his own bed. He shares a bed with Wallace. He shares a bed with his roommate, which, again, not a bad thing. If no, that's your okay. situation, go, yes. You, if that's your situation, yes. Yeah. But um, doesn't pay for, really doesn't pay for anything. Um, ends so many conversations abruptly with just the phrase, I gotta pee. Like, that's, that, mm-hmm. I was watching this movie again, I was like, oh, he really leaves a lot of scenarios just by that, doing that. Another big one, another ex-girlfriend he is in a band with, and he just acts like everything is okay. And solved issues with her. Even though there are definitely issues. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, doesn't again, doesn't practice, is a shitty yeah. bandmate. Um, I've never been in a band, but, like, I'm sure that, like, this shit shouldn't be allowed, like, or yeah. pe- you should get kicked out. Doesn't God. know gigs are happening? Like, is constantly asking as they're walking into a gig, like, oh, what are we doing? Like, the, wishy-wash- the wishy-washiness of Scott Pilgrim. Yes, um, yeah. Uh, the fucking, that one, that one bit where he's sitting in the chair, he's like, but it's hard. Again, mm-hmm. shows mm-hmm. you what kind of person this is. Yeah. He sucks. And doesn't check I, his email. <laughs> I'm sorry, what was that? It's like he doesn't check his email. Doesn't check his email. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's a red flag for me. <laughs> if you don't, oh, okay, hold on. I have. Oh no, Jackson! 
Okay, I will. I will say a lot of these are like ad emails or spam emails. Oh, I I fine. check the important ones. Yeah, no, but, that's fair. But here's how many unread emails I have. Oh no! Six thousand seven hundred and fifty-five. Again, again, they're all like, they're all like promotion things, or like your payment no, was processed, or that. Yeah, I, I open the important emails. I, I have to stress that I am. Fair. I don't That's just. Fair. I don't just check. I just don't check my emails, but. Yeah, um, I I outed myself as having that many unread emails. <laughs> that is okay. You are busy. Scott is not busy. He doesn't yeah. have a job. He just sits around and dates 17-year-olds. You can check your email. <laughs> <laughs> you have the time. You have the time to check your email. Um, But, yeah, Scott... I think the movie want the movie and the comic, from what I've gathered, both want you to understand this is this is a bad guy that he sucks. That I think a lot, a lot of ev- just having everyone constantly mention and comment on how awful the things he's doing are, it helps to add to that. Yeah, but there but there are still film bros who think he is a god amongst men. And we are we are calling you out. You are wrong. Yes. <laughs> we we are not trying to gatekeep, but you should get better media literacy at yes. least. Yes. Like learn how to understand the pieces of media you consume just a little bit better. So obvious when they keep repeating, hey, you're a bad guy. Maybe you should yeah. think hey, maybe I shouldn't like this guy. Like, of course he's likable. What makes him likable is he's human. He does have faults. But, like, not a good person. You shouldn't want to, like, aim to be like Scott Pilgrim. Absolutely not. Uh, but I will say, though, Michael Sarah does give a very charming scumbag performance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I have been a fan of Michael Sarah since, like, Arrested Development days. Um, and, like, there he's full introvert full yeah. like not any of this like you he's so lovable a, <laughs> yes george michael is a very lovable character yeah. who has a lot of flaws and a lot of faults yeah. but it's kind of like the full 180 with scott who is just an awful human being <laughs> yeah yeah has I was just I I just remembered like those weird images the the meme images of Michael Sarah in like just random places if you know what I'm talking about you I do I know exactly what you're talking about a, a weird like it's him at a Chuck E Cheese surrounded by like people and he's just yeah. like hey <laughs> it's just I think that's what makes him so like likable he's like known as that like awkward like funny guy who has a lot of charm and like. You know, like gets the pretty girls, and like that's why guys are like, "Yeah, he, we like him," you know. Yeah. Like he does have those likable qualities. Like I get it. I get liking Scott Pilgrim. I like Scott Pilgrim. Do I think he's great? No. <laughs> I I think he's charming. 
Yes. I think, I think, would I want to base my entire personality off him? Absolutely not. Should anybody? No. Uh, Yeah, and it's like, it sort of lures you in. Like, you see this charming guy who's like, Oh, hey, it's it's me. I'm I'm gonna go fight fight some evil exes, and then when you start to realize how much of an awful person he is, you sort of like you you get to see that, and it makes the progression of his character way more interesting to watch. Watching him actually like accept personal responsibility. Parts like skip towards the end, but like like when him and his like self are supposed to be like fighting and beating each other up and then at the end you see them like walk out and they're like oh my god like yeah let's get coffee next week like oh that sounds so great like i like i love it again back to the part back to the fact that i have seen the first 45 minutes more than any other part of this movie i (laughs) forgot that that happens i i was like oh shit one more fight scene that's right and then i forgot that they just walk out and they're like oh yeah hey Let's 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 hang out. Let's let's do lunch or something. Oh yeah, he's he's pretty cool. <laughs> and I, but I think it works though. I think it really yeah. like it's it a full like level of understanding yourself yeah. before you can make these stronger connections with others. Yes, and like anybody deserves love. Like you do not need to like fix yourself to like be worthy of love, but yeah. it. Well, like it helps you be a better partner and a better person. If Absolutely. You are, <laughs> like, if yes, you recognize like, what's and like, okay, I'm gonna work on them, you know. I think this is definitely one of those like great movies for like people just getting out of high school or just getting out of college. Like, like I've I've watched I've watched this movie on and off since I was like 13 or 14, but like it only really started to hit in like the last couple of years when I was like, oh. I am in the process of like these meaningful relation, making these meaningful relationships with people that hopefully will last for a lifetime. But to do that, I have to, I have to understand the parts of myself that even I don't really like. And like by overcoming that stuff, I, I can make these, I can deepen these personal relationships even more. Exactly. Love that. Love that. See, it's a fun comic movie, but there's some deep life lessons that anybody can learn from this. Exactly. Now, we should talk about the others that are around Scott throughout this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's just, we'll start with like his, like the core supporting cast of like his band, his girlfriends, uh, his sister, his roommate, yeah. his roommate's <laughs> boyfriends. Uh, I, I want to continue the Wallace Wells discussion real quick. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the like Venn diagram is of like people who listen to this and people who watch Succession, but we could see Wallace Wells in Succession. Maybe I think Kieran Kieran Culkin is just doing Wallace, just a worse Wallace Wells in Succession. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree. Yeah, if if you guys uh, don't remember, Wallace is Scott Pilgrim's roommate who basically owns everything in the apartment. Owns everything Scott. in the apartment. <laughs> um, basically, the complete inverse to Scott in every way possible. Mm-hmm. Has a control has control of his life. Um, 
he is he at least has better relationships with his partners yeah Yeah. um in some ways but also is like way more outgoing and just like he he is my favorite character this movie i can't i can't i can't explain why (laughs) I, i think you put it like perfectly he is the most chaotic character but also is the voice of reason you know yes like, yeah. he's so fun, but also, like, smart, you know? Like, he's chaotic yeah. good, I feel like. Well, I don't know. Maybe chaotic neutral. <laughs> I don't I, know if he, I would say that. Well, he, he, he does steal Anna Kendrick's boyfriend at one point, so maybe it's, he's not all good. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, he, he forces Scott to grow up, you know? He's, like, yeah. he's a good friend where he's, like, hey, like, I love you. Um, You need to do better. Like, get out of my park. Literally. literally I... You know, if I had Kieran Culkin just standing behind me at all times, just telling me to, like, like apply for this job or take yeah. control of your life and be, I, I would be way more successful than I already, I would, yeah, I would be way more successful. Exactly. Exactly. The best. Speaking of Anna Kendrick, um, Anna Kendrick is in this movie, you guys, for, like, a total, a sum total of, like, less than 10 minutes. And this is this is a pre-pitch perfect Anna Kendrick. Oh yeah, yeah. This is like I think one of her first, like at least like on film acting jobs. Yes, I'm trying because I I did see Pitch Perfect in theaters, so I'm trying to remember when that when that came out. 2013. Maybe? Oh my god. I, I I I'm googling it right now, but I have a feeling my gut says 2013. It feels. I watched that movie again recently. It feels like a 2013, like 20, 20, I was one year old. 2012. It is 2012 distilled into a movie, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It really is. Uh, you know, someone let me on another podcast to talk about Pitch Perfect. I will. True, true. She's in Twilight. Wait, was Twilight before Scott Pilgrim? Wait, Scott oh my God. She is in Twilight. Oh my gosh, now I'm rethinking everything I know about her. Um, okay, Twilight. I, okay, I'm, okay, Twilight was 2008. Okay, so Twilight was before Scott Pilgrim. Yes. But even then, okay, I have never seen the Twilight movies. I've only seen the baseball scene like a hundred times. Anna Kendrick's character, all the Twilight fans are going to come for me because I should not, I I don't, I, I'm not the biggest Twilight fan. I mean, enjoy it but i'm not like a twilight fan by any means so i'm maybe saying this completely wrong but don't don't (laughs) worry i think the venn diagram of people who listen to this podcast and listen to twilight is two separate circles perfect perfect so um she plays like one of bella's best friends in high school and she's kind of like that like perky like um student council like in your business kind of like annoying but funny character Okay. Um, not like a big role, but she like honestly her casting in Twilight makes a lot of sense as to why she would be cast as the sister in Scott Pilgrim because yes. they're kind of similar. Like her character in Twilight is very similar to yeah, okay, in Scott Pilgrim. Like I definitely yeah. that relation. And she, yeah, she plays Scott's sister, and um, she she is very much a like another supporting like. Greek chorus in terms of like you are a bad person you should not be doing these things <laughs> wow. um she and Wallace get a lot of time together as I said um she's 
her, she gets her boyfriend stolen by Wallace. Um, but then, yeah, we'll just move, we'll move into, like, we'll do Ramona last because, like, she's the big one. But then Aubrey Plaza is also in this movie. Yes. As, yes. as Audrey Powers, who works everywhere. I don't know why I thought her name was Audrey. Anyway. <laughs> she. <laughs> and I was like, oh, her name's definitely Audrey. <laughs> Uh, Aubrey Plaza gets my favorite bit in the entire movie, I think, when she, like, has the sensor bars on, and yeah. it's like... Chapter's like, Scott, that pilgrim! <laughs> how, are you, how are you doing that with your mouth? <laughs> I love the breaking the fourth wall, like, we're in a movie kind of thing. Yeah, know? it's... Well, that's, that's, that's an Edgar Wright thing. Like, it's yeah. a, constantly playing with the form. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have the band. We have Sex Babam. We have... Stephen Stills, Kim Pine, and Young Neil. Um, yeah, I love Young Neil. Young Neil, sleeper sleeper hit with the characters. Uh, one of the characters, he is. He doesn't get to do much, but yeah. he also does so much. Yeah, he's like I don't know, like him and Knives. They're just the most lovable. They're adorable. They deserve <laughs> to be together. Yeah. My favorite part is when. So young Neil, like his part of the band is like he runs the amps and like they practice at his house. Like he's not even part of the band. And there's this one clip where he's like hanging on the amp during one of their gigs and he's singing along and he gets the words wrong. Yes, yes, <laughs> so wholesome. <laughs> I noticed this for the first time when I was watching this again to prep for this, and I was like. Oh, I never noticed that during when when the band performs, he's just there and yeah. <laughs> he so he just hangs out. He kind he does he he grooves. He dances. He like he just is around, and it's so funny. And I he's love like, it. Sets up the equipment, and like that's what he does, you know. And Kim Kim's the drummer, and yes, Kim. I think Allison Pill has the best like reactions in this entire movie so funny she doesn't say much she doesn't she she has like less than 50 lines in the movie i think but when you watch this movie and you look at her eyes it is the the best part of this movie so expressive while not being expressive yes like she has this like deadpan, but you can see like the intensity and hatred like deep within her. It's so cool how she does it. Yeah. And she's she's not like again, like there are so many characters in this movie that I would watch an entire movie of. Mm-hmm. And I think Kim is one of them just watching her react to things. I would pay twenty bucks to go into a movie theater and watch Allison Pill just like stare. Put her in Fantastic Mr. Fox. I want to see it. <laughs> Fantastic Mr. Fox? I feel like she'd be great in that movie. Honestly, oh my god, actually, you this makes sense. Thank you, thank you, Piper, for giving me a new dream that I, that I want to see. You're welcome. I love mashing projects together in my head. Yes. And then you have Stephen Stills, who is... Um, He's just as scummy as Scott, in, but in, yeah. like, different ways. He's yeah. the guy who's always willing to, like, sell out and, like... He thinks he's, like... I was gonna make a One Direction 
Thing. Nobody's gonna get that. He he just thinks he's like the it guy. Like he's like I'm the talent of the group. Everyone like loves make, me. Make your One Direction joke. Someone might get it. I well, won't. There's like some beef right now between Liam Payne and like Zayn from One Direction because Liam came out on this podcast and he's like, oh yeah, like they built the band around me. Like I was the original talent and like Simon. Um, made a promise to me that like I would get a big break after One Direction like basically like saying that he was like the best thing of like One Direction was like hating on all the other um, like members of the band I'm not even a big One Direction fan I just thought this was so funny because like the the like fandom is so mad because like their whole band has been built on this belief that they're oh like all the boys are best friends and they love each other and they had so much fun being a part of this group and they can't stand each other so uh, like all the girls are heartbroken they're like no so <laughs> he's the he's the Liam of the group. Okay. <laughs> if anybody gets that reference, if it, I certainly don't. Um, <laughs> Some pop culture for you. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Piper. This is this is why I'm trying to bring other guests, other different guests, onto this show to get different perspectives, like this One Direction beef talk. This is great. Yeah. This is yeah. Um, but yeah, and then we have. Um, we have Knives Chow and Ramona Flowers, the yes. two main love interests of this movie. Um, Knives Chow, played by Ellen Wong. Um, I Every time I watch this movie, I feel more and more sad for Knives because she just gets the world just fucking heaped onto her. Yeah, yeah. Justice for Knives. Justice she for Knives Chow best character and it's just in the worst circumstance in the world it's it's so much of like a tra the tragedy of knives chow of knives chow basically um she gets strung along by this asshole um she gets broken up with um in her revenge plot um she she completely transforms herself uh, she gets punched by a fucking vegan I forgot about that. Yeah, oh. and she like oh, and the one thing that makes me sad about knives is she like manipulates like Neil to yeah. like Scott's attention because she like texts Neil. She's like, I'm gonna use him to make Scott jealous. So she's like, Oh my god, Neil, you're so hot. Like yeah. she she lets <laughs> herself get corrupted and changed by Scott. Basically, like she becomes so much like him mm -hmm. and. Well, in a different way, though, where Scott is, like, totally apathetic, she is just, she Together. knows, yeah, she, she knows she is using people, and she thinks it's the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. I literally, I can't stop thinking my favorite quote, you punched the highlights out of her hair! He punched the highlights out of her hair! It is, that is one of the saddest parts of the movie, and I love it so much. It's so heartbreaking watching it happen. You know, I kind of like how she, like, from that point on, she, like, starts to, like, become her old self again. Because, like, in her transformation, she dyes her hair blue to look more like Ramona. But, like, towards the end of the movie, like, she's back to, like, being, like, nice, like, herself. She's like, oh, like, I can be myself and, like, boys can still want me, you know? Like, yeah. you don't have to change or, like, be, like, another girl to get attention, so. Exactly. Yeah, but she has to get punched to have that transformation. She, no. she has to get punched by fucking Brandon Routh. Hey. I'm so in love with her. Um, and then, and then Ramona, Ramona Flowers, um, yes, one of the most 
interesting characters of this entire movie. Like, she is probably one, she's one of, as complex as Scott, um, I think the whole movie hinges around the fact that both are really unable to let go of their hangups. Yes. With Scott, it's just all is just general shitty personness. And mm-hmm. Ramona, like, she is so fixated on the past. Like, there's yeah. so much that the fact she that e- sense of herself and yeah, both need to let go of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But I think Ramona needs to let go of more. Like, yeah. there is like a cycle here of general, Seven. yeah, <laughs> a sevenfold cycle of general like bad behavior and letting the men in her life change her and manipulate her and she even warn Scott. She's like, oh, you're just like gonna be another evil ex you know yeah that is my that that is i think the line that like sums up their entire relationship like before anything can get better for the both of them scott has to let go of all of this and ramona has to just finally run away from the past yeah and yeah mary elizabeth winstead gives one of the best performances of all time i think like Kim, it's one of those deadpan performances, but there's a lot more like dry sarcasm to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's like very cool and like witty and sharp, but like also very just like like collected. Like she's yes. put <laughs> she gives off the vibe of like she has everything under control, but you yeah. look deeper into her and she's like, and you see that oh. This is someone who has nothing under control. She's unfortunately like the epitome of like the manic pixie dream girl kind yes. of like see like she that is Ramona Flowers. Yes, that is Ramona Flowers. But I think you look at that trope, and I think in some cases there are complexities to those characters if you look deeper. And I think Ramona is one of those cases where she is just as much of a main character in this movie as Scott is. Sad. Yeah. You want to talk about the exes, Piper? Let's... Yes. I, was, I love the exes. Let's talk about the exes, starting with Matthew Patel. You Patel. Oh, my God. He, so he dated Ramona in eighth grade. <laughs> And the only reason she dated him is because um, he, she said he was the only non-white, non-jock in the eighth grade who wasn't obsessed with her. So that's why they dated. They only kissed once, and they dated a week, and then she broke up with him, and she told him to hit the showers. Um, Matthew Patel has mystical powers, and um, he has this brilliant, like, original musical number where as he's fighting Scott Pilgrim, he, like, brings brings in his magical demon hipster chicks to, like, sing backup, and it's, it's so great, and, like, he just gets shat on the whole time during the fight, like, everybody's making fun of him and, like, his outfit, and, like, this boy is, like, not bothered one bit he is just, like he is so determined he's like no no my outfit is great like <laughs> we have to i i do want to shout out sakya baba um who who plays matthew patel i think his entrance like for the first like bit of this movie like it's a very like you're like oh it's just a standard like slacker comedy with like 
some weird, like, style choices here and there. When Matthew Patel enters this movie, that's when you're like, oh, this is what the movie is about. This is the movie. When he comes in with, like, fist in the air, flying through the air, shouting fucking Mr. Pilgrim, that is... You you get it. You now understand what this movie is. Yeah, me and me and my siblings also like we sing the song all the time. Like it's so funny. It's like me and my hipster chicks. Tell them, Maddie. <laughs> he comes in with a full on Bollywood musical number when li- when literally everything else in this movie is indie punk. So of forms of like rock, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And he comes in full Bollywood and it's so it's such a departure from everything else in this movie, but it works so well. Yeah, a hundred percent. So um, yeah. he's the first. He's and the then first. The second is that it's Chris Evans, right? Yes, Chris Evans as Lucas Lee. I he's think like, he is <laughs> This part, like, Wallace Wells is my favorite character in the movie. This mm. sequence is the best part of the movie. It's so great. Um, so, Lucas Lee is, like, this big-time, like, actor. He's, like, the... Um, I'm trying to, like, find a good comparison. Like, I mean, Chris Evans. Like, he's, what Chris he's basically playing Chris Evans. Like, yeah, like, this character is, like... Like, before he, like, became Chris Evans, like, this is... Like, this is him. Yes. Like this is he was going to be in the future. Um and he dates Ramona in ninth grade. Um oh shoot, I don't remember how long they last, but they don't last very long either. Yeah. I um, I my another one of my favorite lines is like we dated in ninth grade, we had drama. Or or I think it was math, but, I, but there was I, a lot of drama. It's like there being a lot of drama. Yes, that's that's what it is. It's um, the, it's the best line. It's one of the best lines in the movie. Um, this is the role I think Chris Evans needs to play more of. Yes. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, he was Captain America. Yeah, he's like a big time action star. My favorite things he does is when he gets to be a scumbag. This, yeah. This and Knives Out are like my favorite performances of his. Well, and he's, like, classic, like, Greek tragic hero. Like, his hubris is what kills him in this movie. Because Scott is, like... So, Scott is losing the fight because Lucas Lee brings in all of his um, uh, stunt doubles to help fight Scott. So, they're all just beating up on him. And Scott's Which, like, okay, I can't win physically. So, um, you were they, saying... Yeah, they are, actu- they are Chris Evans' actual stunt doubles. I should... I know that! Yes, that is that is one of my favorite like little facts about this movie is that Chris Evans just brought his whole stunt team to Chris Evans giving his stunt team the best like giving the cr- the credit that they they deserve because I'm sure but I'm sure one of them at least did this grind that you're about to talk about. Yeah. Um so Scott's like I can't beat him physically. I'm going to make him do some impossible skating move um that's gonna have me win the battle so basically he like calls him a chicken he's like yeah you can't you can't do this like really cool skating move and he's like yeah i can um and basically does this grind where he goes so fast that he explodes at the bottom (laughs) it's It's like it's epic it is so 
funny to watch. And and Chris Evans is just like, oh yeah, I can I can do it. His his performance here is so good. Like he never gets rid of like the the action movie star like gravelly voice. He just yeah. that is it's Luke that is Lucas Lee's natural speaking tone. And uh-huh. the two the two finger point the just the skate the skating tricks. It's he's so good in this movie. Sarah's like he's famous and he's talking to me or like when he's like he had boogers in his nose like he's like but he's famous (laughs) celebrities they're just like us (laughs) yes 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 and then Um, the third is Mae Whitman right uh yeah let's talk about what Mae Whitman now because she sort of appears first but she doesn't get defeated until like after Todd and Envy but Mae Whitman as Roxy Richter the Southern Bell Ninja, I yeah. guess you could call yeah. it. Um, like, uh, rewatching this, it kind of made me sad the way they like represent her. Like, I get it was like this movie was done. Like, yeah, this is the part that did not age no very well. It's just like, like bad representation of like women in media. It's yeah, just- <laughs> women in media, queer rep. It's it's not great. Like, he basically, like, the way he defeats her is, like, he finds, like, her G-spot. It's, like, it's gross. Like, it's gross. It's, yeah. Ugh. I, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I watched this movie last week to prep for this. I had blocked that part out of yeah. my brain until now. Um, it's not great. Because her character is so fun. And, like, yes. the fight is so cool. But, ah, uh, like, they could have done so much better i this is one of the reasons why i want to like read the actual comic because i want to see how roxy is represented and handled in in the original source material or if this was one of those cases where both um like that you know like i know it had to be like a director's choice yeah i yeah i you know it's the one that Edgar Wright had a couple of faults. This is one of them. Um, you know what? We'll 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 move we'll move aside. You will move yes. aside that. Um, she has another. Uh, I I'm sorry. A lot of this is just saying. Oh, this is my favorite part. <laughs> but she had one of my favorite lines in this movie is like, "Where'd you make that? Where'd that come from? My brain." And and. It's such a fun, different dynamic between Mae Whitman and Michael Sarah than you get on Arrested Development. Yeah. yeah. She's she's so funny in this. She's so good. Um, and then we have the twins, right? The twins oh, are next? Yeah, the, well, technically Todd and Envy are... Oh, that's right. Uh, my um, favorite. <laughs> we, we have the two... We have Scott and Ramona's exes at one point. We have Todd Ingram... And Envy Adams, um, yes. played by Brandon Routh and Brie Larson, respectively. Um, they are they are they are a power couple. They are I love Slash a Demon Head. The Slash a Demon Head. What a great band name, by the way. Cool name. And their music. I I get it's not original, like they definitely stole it from <laughs> that other band, but <laughs> so, um it's, it's so good. 
Oh, yeah. And uh, Todd, he also has mystical powers, like Matthew Patel, but he gets his powers through being a vegan. Um, and again, like, <laughs> they're kind of mean about vegan representation. Yeah. Like, but um, it's the fight is so funny because... He, so he gets mystical vegan powers, and he's, like, they, like, make the joke, he's, like, I'm better than everybody else, which, like, that, that's, like, not cool. Um, yeah. But at the very end, the way he gets defeated is Michael Sarah tricks him into drinking half and half instead of soy milk, and the vegan police show up. Vegan police? <laughs> which is, like, literally, like, the best part of the movie. The, the, so the vegan police show up, and they're, like oh, like, we're taking away your powers. And he's like, wait, but this is, like, my first, like, citation. And they look him through, and he's like, he has consumed gelato and chicken parm. And so, like, they basically expose him for, like, not adhering to the vegan diet, so they take his powers away. But in this fight, um, Knives Chow gets punched, and the highlights, she gets hit so hard by Todd that the blue is literally, like, wiped from her hair. Todd is one of those characters that, like, so, I don't know if you knew, know this, but Brandon Roth played Superman at one point. And, that- yeah, yes. And, um, and, like, I think this is, like, a perfect, a perfect, like, next move for him. Like, it's, he is, a, it's, a, it's a Superman type, but it's just, like, asshole, I have psychic powers, I'm better than you, I'm gonna be better at base than you. There's that whole base battle. Of the, of the base battle, because it comes in later, but the, this is the first one that we see. Base battle is so cool. It's it it's really fun. We have to talk about Brie Larson. We have to talk... We have, yes. Brie Larson <laughs> is so good in this movie. And, yeah. oh, and this part. was before this was before she won her Oscar, yeah, I believe, and and she again is one of those characters who like doesn't have much screen time, but mm-hmm. her presence is she makes herself known. Yeah, she commands like the screen. Like when you watch, like your eyes are drawn to her and nobody else. I I got to find the costume designer because I feel like the the costume designer here is. Oh, hold on. But all the wardrobe in this movie is incredible. Like everything is so striking and I'm I'm not I'm not a costume guy. Like I I was a scenic carpenter for two years, but um the way everything like it's a lot of silhouettes and like you instantly get vibes of characters from the costumes. Yeah. She gives, uh, this could be completely wrong, but she gives, like, punk, like, Taylor Swift vibes in this movie, Ooh, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, Laura Jean Shannon is the costume designer. Um, oh, she did the costumes for Elf. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fun! What, her, like, different genre to do? <laughs> I, I was looking, her credits, her top credits are, like, Elf, Scott Pilgrim, the first Iron Man, and like Requiem for a Dream, what a what a bizarre portfolio, but no. incredible. You loved it. They must be good. They must be good. And then we have uh, the Kanyagi twins. Um, I th- again, I think this is one of those cases where like you're fitting so much into this movie that some stuff 
is gonna have to get condensed. Yeah. Um, Do we even hear them speak? I don't think they have lines in this movie. Yeah. Um, I, I'm gonna credit, I, I wanna find the actors, because I would like to at least credit them. Um... Yeah. Um, and their their band is basically like the twins consist of like two DJs and a and a drummer, right? Or no, the I think drummer- it's just two G two DJs and a drum machine. Yes, like <laughs> it's just. Um, and, Kim, and Kim is all pissed off because it's another female drummer, and she she feels threatened by that. Um, the thing she's like, oh, I'm a female drummer. <laughs> yeah, that's Kim's thing, and it's great. Um, yeah. Shota and Keita Saito as uh, Kyle and Ken Katayanagi. Kyle and Ken Katayanagi. That's that's what it is. Um, (laughs) And it's another one of those things. It's it's another one of those things where like, oh, they, the two characters that they happened to, that they happened to really condense and not give any lines to are besides knives. The only like. Yeah, Asian, Asian, Canadian, Asian American representation in yeah. the movie, uh, which, which is weird because well, O'Malley is half Korean, half uh, French, Canadian, Chinese. Mm-hmm. So, and you can definitely, you can definitely see the Japanese anime and video game influences on this movie, and. I don't, again, it's another case where, like, I is this what they're like in the original source material? I don't know. But it's another thing where, like, oh, Roxy and the twins, they have to sort of, like, their arcs have to be condensed because we spent so much time with Chris Evans and Brandon Routh. <laughs> yeah. That's how Hollywood works. Um, mm-hmm. Big names get more time, but... But, but the system, this, need, the system the needs most, to change. Yeah, yeah. But this the battle scene though is one of the yes. sickest parts. It is the coolest it. is the coolest looking part of this movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um when the giant dragons made of sound versus like the sound ape. It's yeah. <laughs> a crazy kaiju fight that mixes like punk and grunge and garage band music with with synths and techno and it's it's so sonically and visually interesting to watch yeah for those like, literally made up of sound waves for those who like have yes. no idea what we're about like these yes. monsters made from the sound giant monsters made of sound waves it's <laughs> so cool to watch and then we have gideon g-man graves we talked a bit about him earlier um Jason Schwartzman giving the scummiest performance ever as like the leader of the League of Evil Exes who who got all their contact information, who set this whole thing in motion. Um it's it's again one of those performances that like you hate this guy so much knowing just how he acts and then you realize sort of just like the hold he has over Ramona. Yeah. And he even he manipulates her through some device on the back of her neck, if I remember yeah. correctly. There, I I want I want to get your thoughts about that because I always thought that was like a visual like metaphor for like the 
the control he has, the manipulation he has over her, rather yeah. than actually being like, oh, he just has a mind control chip implanted in me. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree. Because yeah. they don't, I mean, they only reference it like right then, you know? Yeah, like right at the very end, they are like, oh, he's got this in, in the back of my neck. They seem to be pretty, like, independent, at least, yeah. like, your actions, like, up until, like, the very, very end, you know? Yeah. It's, like, you definitely have the sense that she's, like, influenced by something, you know? Yes. It's, it's not like, it's not like the twist is like, oh, Jason Schwartzman is evil and he's been pulling the strings about everything this whole time. Yeah. yeah. It's more of, like, a metaphor for, like, oh, this relationship is very abusive towards Ramona like he is extremely manipulative and I bet he does his fair share of gaslighting and <laughs> speaking of metaphors I literally just thought of this like when we were speaking but okay so at the very end of the battle with Gideon um there's this like theme of the mega ninja which is this character in the video game that Knives and Scott play um when they would like go on their dates together and in the very, very end of the battle, the Mega Ninja ends up being Scott Pilgrim. But this just made me realize, because he technically has to defeat himself in the Battle of the Seven Evil Exes. Does that mean that they're, like, fated not to end up together? Because he has to fight himself. So does that I, make X? Good. This is, this is an interesting question. Yeah, literally just, I just thought of it when we were talking. I was like, wait. Like, I get he has to, like, fight himself to, like, work through some yeah. inner stuff. But... He's, he's like the very end of the battle, you know? Yeah. I, well, I think that's, that's an interesting question. Do you think Scott and Ramona work out? Because we see them leaving, we see them leaving together at the end of the movie. And that's how the story ends. And I don't think there's been any talk for any sort of continuation of this in any way. But do you think they end up together? I think that they're very bad for each other. I think that they were good in helping each other, like, grow as people. But yes. as a couple, I don't think that they work necessarily, you know? I think that they fell in love with, like, the idealized version of each other. Absolutely. Um, like, I don't, I don't, I, I mean, I would love, you know, I love a happy ending. But in the long run, I don't think that they're, like, <laughs> you know, I don't think that they're the type of people that would make it long term. <laughs> no. I definitely think they break up. Mm-hmm. But I do think they stay or at least try to stay friends. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because for I, sure. I think they are very good in helping each other grow as people. Yeah. yeah. But romantically, maybe it's not the best fit for either of them. Mm. And I sort of, that is sort of like scene where like, because Scott and Knives do have like a synchronicity in the final fight with Gideon. Mm. And like, but... Again, it's another thing was like they have this connection, but they aren't right for each other. And I think that it goes back to my thing about how this movie is definitely really good for people in their late teens, early 20s. Like that is these are the relationships that are meaningful, but they might not always last. Yeah. And that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, that that is okay. That uh-huh. that those relationships are just as important as like being a part of like you as like fundamentally, you know? Exactly. Exactly. 
uh quick last thing we should talk let's talk about the visuals of this movie um it it looks so good guys um, so i'm i'm a digital media major as well like or i was i graduated yes. a major <laughs> um yes yeah, so um like i don't know i not to be like sound like a film snob but like because i studied that like when i watch movies now like i I'm very aware of, like, the small details, like, in cinematography and, like, the, like, themes and, like, what they do to, like, get certain looks. And um, they do such a good job through the editing, like, appealing to, like, the comic book style, like, the transition, yeah. the cuts to different pictures. Like, the, I even read, like, on Tumblr or somewhere that, like, they asked the actors, like, to try not to blink, like, in during the scenes to make it seem as, like, much comic-like. Like, everyone's expressions are so big. Like, it's just, uh, like, the pacing, it's so freaking cool. <laughs> the way shots are framed, too, like, they look like yeah. there's a lot of, like, static shots. Like, the camera doesn't mm -hmm. move too much yeah. in certain, certain shots, and it feels like, it feels like comic panels. Yeah, and no, it's exactly... This is what I wish more comic book movie adaptations would do. Um, we we don't have a lot with, like, distinct visual styles, especially in the last couple of years. And that's... It, it makes me sad because we look at things like this and it's just... The, it can be done. And yet people aren't doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It literally looks... Because... Um... You know, like, those drawing boards where they create, like, when um, cinematographers are putting together, like, a list of shots that they want, they literally, they take comics and they write out, um, basically, like, every image that they want to, like, include, and it, they literally take the comics and just translate it, like, into the cinematography, and it's, yes. it's just, like, copy-paste, it's so cool, and I, like, you never see anything like that, like, you, as you said. You, you don't see movies like this that yeah. much, and... Yeah. It makes me sad, but mm -hmm. it looks so good. It sounds amazing. Um, the the way sound effects are peppered in. Um, they homage the video game as well with like yeah. the um, the fighting and the coins and yeah um, and visual effects. It feels, yeah. but none of it feels like too much. Like, no, no, there are some movies where like. There are some movies where it would be distracting or it would be too overstimulating, but it yeah. all feels natural. Yes. It's like a, literally a celebration of all these like different like genres and ideas. And it just like it clicks so perfectly. And I think like because this movie is so out there, that's why it works so well. But yes, like it's just uh, it's stunning. Like the whole movie is just like perfectly done. And. Now, this is sort of, like, a good place to transition into, like, final thoughts. Like, I I will still stand by the fact that this is probably the best adaptation of a comic of all time. In terms of staying true to what it is. Absolutely. So, but like, not to, like, bash on Marvel, but I feel like it's become so commercialized. And um, especially, like, phase one, like, it's such, like, a disney look you know like it takes yeah. away from like, the magic and the color and like the you know just like the fun that like is comics like they just yes, like disney exactly. <laughs> when, when you see when you see what you can do with comic book adaptations 
Yeah. The MCU just looks so much weaker in comparison. It does. It's an action movie. It's not a comic anymore. Like, you've completely pulled away from the genre. Yes. Oh. But, yeah. Um, usually, um, at points when we're talking about comic stories, we try to transition into a segment where we cast actors as those characters. <laughs> but this is a movie, and yeah. I'm just going to say it. Um, we already have Brie Larson. We already have Chris Evans. Um, Brandon Routh was Superman. Um, yep. I think all of these people deserve to be in co- more comic adaptations. Me too. I think Me too. I I don't know who they play because I didn't think about that. But I think we deserve to see Michael Sarah in more comic book movies. Literally, and let Chris Evans play the villain. Let him play a villain. What? That well, obviously, well, Captain America kind of was a villain. Yeah, nah, nah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know what? Let Chris, let Chris Evans play more mo- villains. Um, mm-hmm. Let Michael Sarah make more movies like this. Um, yeah. I don't know what he's been up to. I I haven't <laughs> followed his career Wait, in a while. Have you listened to his music at all? Michael Sarah has music. Oh my god, yes. Okay, my sister plays a song in the car all the time. It's called Clay Pigeon. I'm trying to remember like the actual name of his band. But, like, he has music. Um, oh, my God. Oh, this is Michael Sarah. Like, his, his, but yeah, look at, look to this, um, oh my gosh, look into the song Play Pigeons by Michael Sarah. I think you'd like it a lot. In 2010, yeah. Sarah, con- in 2010, Sarah contributed mandolin and backing vocals to the Weezer song Hang. <laughs> Michael Sarah. <laughs> Backing vocals for Weezer? That's so cool. <laughs> um, he also oh he okay, so he played bass in this movie. He actually can play bass. Yeah, yeah. He he I mean he plays bass in all his music. And he sings too. He's like he's not a bad singer. Oh no, he he does really well in this movie. Like it's very yeah. good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Piper, thank you for coming on. Um, this was this was great. Um, Broadway producers, if you're listening, um, we will we will conceive a staged adaptation of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Recommended Reading with Jackson Heyman's theme music was written by Charlotte Rosenthal. Recommended Reading with Jackson Heyman is produced by Mythonomica Productions. Thank you for listening.